0: Church, can you hear me? Good, it's really good to be worshiping with you all this morning and especially with worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. Of course, it's always a privilege and an honor to be bringing you the Word of God today. And as we know, Pastor Gareth is away in the U.S. at the moment, so we'll be praying for him and his family that he has a joyous time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he comes back to us, to New Life Church, safe and sound. So this week we'll be taking a break from our sermon series in the book of Acts. And of course, as we know, this weekend we are celebrating Easter. A very significant time in the church calendar. And we know that it is the foundation of our faith. As the Apostle John said it like this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now we know Easter follows a period of Lent, where many churches around the world set a time aside for repentance and for remembrance. Now Lent, we know, begins on Ash Wednesday, and it ends on Good Friday, the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, the 40-day period was established by Pope Gregory I using the 40-day pattern of Israel, of Moses, of Elijah, and, of course, of Jesus' time in the wilderness. And this week that has gone by, we normally refer to as Holy Week or Passion Week. Of course, it includes Palm Sunday, where Jesus rode on a donkey, he entered Jerusalem triumphantly. And the people celebrated him. And it includes Monday, Thursday, the Last Supper, where Jesus met with the disciples to observe the Passover. And of course, Good Friday, where Jesus died on the cross, where he was crucified. But sadly, as we know, Easter appears to just be another holiday that is celebrated with very little connection to the Christian church. I mean you only have to walk around the malls and see for yourself how the average person celebrates Easter. You'll find the shelves, they are packed with fuzzy teddy bears, with rabbits, with gift baskets, with flowers, and of course colored Easter eggs that appear to be connected with the spring motif. And if you look at the greeting card section as well, You'll probably find some cards that might say happy easter or the fact that spring is here connecting those happy thoughts of leaving a cold harsh winter behind and looking forward to a fresh new spring but you may find some cars maybe that have some sort of a connection with religion perhaps you may see a church or even a religious word or two or maybe even perhaps a prayer But I seriously doubt you may find a card that will have the cross that will have an empty tomb or will have the Lord Jesus Christ written on it. So it is clear to see that the resurrection of Christ is not very significant in the world today. Easter bunnies and eggs have won hands down over Christ, the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. But this morning I want to show you in the scriptures that this easter is very significant within the church calendar and it is the foundation of our faith i want to show you that jesus is in fact the son of god that he fulfilled the prophecy through his death through his burial and through his resurrection and that he has given us the gift of eternal life in heaven to all those who believe in him i want to point you to the risen or the glorious resurrection and that's the title of my message today and this is taken from an article that was written by bob Diffenbaugh some time ago to demonstrate the significance of the resurrection by showing you the uniqueness of the resurrection by showing you the necessity of the resurrection and by showing you the urgency of the resurrection now by doing this i hope that you will see the resurrection in a new light in a very personal significant way so why don't we turn to the scriptures now and let us read from what god's word tells us and we'll be looking at luke the the gospel of luke and we'll be doing from chapter 24 So shall we stand while we read God's word together? So Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He he told you, with them who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them but peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened let us pray Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to come and meet in your mighty name, Lord. We thank you for the word that we have just read, Lord. And Father, as we meditate on these scriptures, Lord, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to your word, Lord. We pray that we grow in knowledge and of faith and obedience, Father. We pray that at this time we get to see the risen Christ, Lord, that we get to experience your Son in a very personal, significant way, Father. May it change our hearts, Lord. May we be changed from the inside out so that people can see the difference that you make in our lives. And Father, we just ask this all through and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Shall we we sit? So as we know from our previous studies, and from the studies in the book of Acts, and our studies in the uh, book of Luke, we know that that Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke. Now, he was a Gentile, he was a physician, and he was a travel companion of Paul. Now, we know that he wrote this orderly account to the most excellent Theophilus, which we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, so that Theophilus would be certain of the things that had been taught, which we see in verse 4. However, I'm sure that Luke intended for this to reach a much wider audience as well. And Luke expressly states the knowledge of these events that were recorded in the gospel came from the reports of eyewitnesses, which strongly implies that he himself was not an eyewitness to these events. However, his aim was to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus' ministry. And this, of course, we know was done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the opening chapters of Luke, we see that there is the arrival of a king who was born in humble, poor circumstances. This account shows that Jesus was indeed a teacher and a prophet who calls on people to live and need a different way of life where the poor are called and are cared for, where the people find forgiveness of their sins and their failures. Of course, we know Jesus went from town to town inviting people to follow Him to live under God's reign to live under God's rule. And Jesus performed many signs, wonders, and miracles, where the people of Israel began to hope that he would rescue them from the Romans and that he would set up a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of justice. In other words, that Jesus would bring them the kingdom of God. But of course, we know well, the religious leaders of the day Saw Jesus as a threat and they expected to gain power when the kingdom of God came. But Jesus said that the kingdom belongs to the poor and the outsider, that real power came from serving people in love and not from serving yourselves. And of course, you know, the conflict with the religious leaders intensified when Jesus criticized them especially of being hypocrites and they sought to have jesus uh, arrested and executed and in fact luke describes jesus's details in the final three chapters of the gospel where he describes jesus's final journey into jerusalem and we see that they arrest jesus and that they accuse jesus of being a rebel king before the roman authorities So Jesus was handed over for execution, although he was innocent. He was taken outside the city. He was crucified under false charges. And then at the end of chapter 23, Luke describes that following Jesus' crucifixion, we see Joseph of Arimathea, who was the member of a council, who was a good and a righteous man, indicating that he was a believer, he approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He took the body of Jesus down, he wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb uh, cut in stone where no one had been laid before. Now the entrance of the tomb where Jesus was buried was probably about two feet wide and three feet tall, so not very big at all. And it was covered with a stone that was most likely about a foot wide maybe four feet in diameter but extremely heavy now the body would have been placed on a bench until it could be prepared for burial now notice that the woman had come with him from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how the body was laid so notice this is important they saw the tomb and how the body was laid very important Notice um, also that the day of preparation had arrived and the Sabbath was beginning. So they rested according to the commandment. They went away and prepared the spices and the ointment. So let's look at my first point where we see the glorious empty tomb in verses 1 to 3. So we pick up the the account again. On the first day of the week, so it was a Sunday, At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. Now, it was very early in the morning, about the fourth watch of the night, so probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And I'm sure these women must have been totally exhausted, would not have slept the night before. They must have been restless, tossing and turning reminiscing about the events that took place or transpired the day before now notice that they were coming with spices their intention was to finish the task that was interrupted by the sabbath their only plan was to finish anointing Jesus' body for burial so they were they were not expecting to find an empty tomb they were not Expecting the resurrection of Jesus. They were looking for a dead corpse, for a body to anoint. Now, this proves the resurrection. They were not looking for it, they did not expect it. This is why Luke is so descriptive in his account of the gospel of Jesus to record the eyewitness account of the resurrection of jesus and of course when they arrived they found the stone was rolled away and when they went in they did not find the body of the lord jesus now the gospel of matthew records that an earthquake occurred and that an angel rolled the stone away the roman guards fainted with fear but mark luke and john make no mention of the gods so it appears that they may have fled away when they woke up to find the empty tomb. Now, it is interesting to note that the Gospels don't record the logistics and the difficulties that these women must have faced. They intended to complete the task of preparing the body of Jesus. But when they got to the tomb, there were a few obstacles in their way. The stone, first of all, as we know, was very heavy. It must have weighed a few tons. And they would have needed to have rolled that stone away in order to open the tomb. How would they have negotiated that? Secondly, we are told that there were armed guards outside the entrance of the tomb. And they were instructed to guard the tomb by the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders were afraid of what Jesus had said and taught. So how would they have dealt with the guards? But I'm sure they probably weren't thinking about that at their time. Because their love for Jesus would have far outweighed their logical reasoning. Now it is also interesting to note that if you review the arguments of the skeptics of the resurrection, they never deny the empty tomb. Those who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead don't have a problem with the empty tomb. So they come up with a few theories to suggest why the tomb was empty so firstly some of them say that it was the disciples that stole the body of jesus christ Now, of course we know if we read the historical accounts of the gospels i doubt the disciples would have been any in any mood or any position to have stolen the body of jesus i mean I don't think they would have wanted to have confronted some armed guards outside the tomb nor would they have wanted to have rolled a heavy stone out of the way I mean think about it they were devastated they were in mourning if you recall Peter fled the scene and they were hiding in the room in the upper room so probably highly unlikely now secondly If the disciples didn't steal the body of Jesus Christ, then maybe it was the Jews who stole the body of Jesus Christ. However, that doesn't make any sense either. Because once the people would have started spreading the news that Jesus had in fact risen, all the Jews had to do was present the body of Jesus as a witness to say, look, here he is. So case dismissed. So it couldn't have been the Jews? The third theory is is that they went to the wrong tomb. It means seems plausible, doesn't it? I mean, Jerusalem is full with many, many, many tombs, okay? It was very early in the morning. It was dark. The women were in mourning, their eyes were puffed up and swollen. They probably had many tears in their eyes, and they couldn't see very well. So sounds reasonable. But the one problem is, if the woman went to the wrong tomb, so did everyone else go to the wrong tomb. Peter and John went to the wrong tomb. The disciples went to the wrong tomb. The angels were at the wrong tomb. But all they really needed to do was ask Joseph of Arimathea. He would have known. Where Jesus was I mean it was his property so surely he would know where the right tomb was so it really doesn't sit well the fourth theory is what they come up with is known as the swoon theory in other words Jesus didn't really die he came close to death but never did but we know from all the Gospels that from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Following this, he healed his spirit. And what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That the earth shook, the rocks were split and that the tombs were opened. In John's account, we see that the soldier pierced Jesus' side, and there came out blood and water, indicating that Jesus truly died, that he was a fully human being, that he had a genuine human body. However, even if you really think about it, uh, how would it be possible that a barely living Jesus would have been taken down from the cross, put in a dark and damp tomb, and simply walked out of the tomb? Now, if you think about the persecution of the Romans, I mean, they knew how to kill somebody. They knew how to persecute. They, Jesus would have had a beating beyond what any of us could have ever imagined. He would have had nails through the wrist and His feet. A crown of thorns on his head and a spear through his heart. These guys were experts in making people suffer and die. And I doubt Jesus would have been able or be in any position to have just simply walked out of the tomb. So definitely doesn't seem plausible, does it? So the only possible explanation, brothers and sisters, is the resurrection of Jesus. So secondly, my second point we see the uniqueness and the necessity of the resurrection in verses 4 to 8. So the woman, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman saw two men standing there in dazzling apparel. These were angels. Only Luke mentions them both. where Mark is concerned with only one who spoke for the duo, now, John MacArthur gives us a summary of the events that are described by all four Gospels. He says this, he says, Finding the stone rolled away, the woman entered the tomb, but found it empty. While they were still in the tomb, the angel suddenly appeared. The angel who spoke reminded them of the words that Jesus promised, that so that they sent them to find Peter and the other disciples to report that Jesus was risen and the woman did what they were told so now notice these wonderful verses in verse 5 where we read why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here he is risen now the Greek word for risen or resurrection is anastasis probably the most important verse of the entire bible ever written now why is this so significant Well, firstly, it is so significant because it is so unique. Firstly, it proves the deity of Jesus Christ. This was no mere mortal who rose from the dead that Easter morning. He was truly the Son of God. Throughout his ministry, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And it was for that very reason the religious leaders wanted jesus dead and if you remember at the sight of the lord's death the soldier said this truly this man was the son of god in mark chapter 15 and paul wrote also in his greetings in his letter to the romans he said this in chapter one paul a servant of jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of god which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, firstly, we see it proves Jesus' deity. Secondly, we see the resurrection is so unique. Because never before in the history of mankind has anyone ever been raised from the dead like that. Our Lord's resurrection was the first genuine resurrection in the history of mankind. And His resurrection is referred to as, which we read earlier, the first fruits. For there will be many who will follow after Him. Where Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we read this morning. For as in Adam, uh, for as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits; then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And thirdly, the death of Christ is so unique because he was sinless. He died on behalf of sinners. But some would argue that. The death of Christ was not that noble. That if you think about it, that it was his own fault, that he brought about it himself. I mean, he criticized the religious leaders of the day, and he probably deserved to die. But you see, the death of Christ was so unique because it was part of God's eternal plan that Christ would die and as, innocent, as an innocent sacrificial lamb as a substitute payment for the sins of men now the sacrifices of the old testament system anticipated him who was to come as the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world from eternity past christ was designated as the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish whose death could thus atone for these sins Of others the writer in Hebrews in chapter 9 says it like this but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then though the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood So the New Testament speaks of the cross of Christ as an act of redemption. Now in its most basic sense, redemption has to do with some kind of purchase or a transaction that takes place where it is a purchase for someone else. Christ paid for our salvation in full with His life. However, it is also important to note that the work of Christ did not begin uh, when He was born. It began in eternity past, and we refer to this as the covenant of redemption. This is a pact or an agreement that takes place within the Godhead itself, within the triune God, where the Father, He designed the plan of redemption, and the Son, He was assigned the task to accomplish the redemption. And the Holy Spirit who was tasked in applying this redemption to our lives. So thank God for this plan. For without it, we would be living without any hope whatsoever. So we see the uniqueness of the resurrection of Christ. But let's look and see why it was so necessary. So like the uniqueness, we see The resurrection was necessary to prove that Jesus was indeed who He claimed to be. That our Lord was clearly the Son of God, which was the reason the religious leaders wanted Him dead. The resurrection of God was proof that the Lord Jesus was who He claimed to be. was the Son of God. Secondly, the resurrection was necessary to prove that Jesus had accomplished what He promised to do what he actually set out to do the death of our lord would not have been enough for we identify with him through his death his burial and his resurrection and it is simply because of this that we are saved and in 1 corinthians chapter 15 the great resurrection chapter in the new testament paul argues that apart from christ's resurrection we would have no hope. Because as we read. But, is there, but if there was no resurrection of the dead, and not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worth, worthless you are still in your sins. Thirdly, it was necessary for the resurrection to fulfill the biblical prophecy. Now, there were were many prophecies about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in the Old Testament. But if you remember in our study in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, Peter addressed the people and he mentioned David's psalm, Psalm 16, of course, David could not have referred to himself, but he was referring to his son, the Messiah, whom God would have raised from the dead. And the Old Testament scriptures were understood by the apostles to foretell the resurrection of Christ. So therefore, the resurrection for us was necessary because it was a biblical necessity. And finally, the resurrection of Christ was necessary because it is a necessary element of saving faith. Uh, in both the Old and the New Testament, a saving faith was a faith in a God who could raise men from the dead. And if we look in the Old Testament, we just have to look at Abraham where God needed to do a work on Abraham to show him the resurrection faith. When God promised Abra- Abraham and Sarai, a son in their old age. Then Abraham believed that God um, because he came to know and he became to possess that saving resurrection faith. And this resurrection faith was tested uh, when he was to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And again I turn to the, the writing Hebrews chapter 11 which says this, By faith Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in fact uh, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham believed that Isaac would have been raised from the dead. He had that resurrection faith. So we see the glorious empty tomb we see the uniqueness and the necessity of the resurrection and finally my third point i want to show us is the urgency of the resurrection which we see in verses 9 to 12. so in the final few verses we see the woman did what they were told they went and they found the eleven disciples of course minus julius iscariot and told them everything that they had witnessed but notice the reaction of the disciples they refused to believe him they saw their words as idle tales but it wasn't until the apostles they ran to the tomb with haste with urgency and we see that john arrived at the tomb first but notice peter entered the tomb and what did he see he saw the linen wrappings intact but the tomb was empty proof that jesus had in fact risen they left immediately and we know following this text if we read on the scriptures describe in detail for at least 10 distinct appearances that christ uh, had between his resurrection and the ascension his first appearance was to mary magdalene at the tomb and his second appearance was to the woman on the road And later that day, he appeared to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Further eyewitness accounts prove that Jesus had in fact risen. But can you imagine the excitement and the joy of the apostles, what they must have experienced when they realized that Jesus Christ had indeed risen? When they remembered his words and the prophecies that he said to them while Jesus was still with him, Prior to, the res- prior to the crucifixion. We see the urgency of their response. They immediately ran to the tomb. They immediately left. They did not hesitate. They accepted the resurrection as a matter of fact. They accepted um, the resurrection of Christ, sorry, is not something that needs to be taken lightly. It is literally a matter of eternal life and death. The resurrection is a fact to which our response will determine our eternal destiny. The resurrection of our Lord was a defining event in the New Testament. It was an event that brought about some significant changes that is not often mentioned or spoken about. And I would like to draw your attention to R.C. Sproul. In his study where we, we learn about what did Jesus do? He talks about the pattern of humiliation and the pattern of exaltation. For in the birth, we see the incarnate God Himself, where John tells us in the gospel, the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. The eternal second person of the Trinity takes upon Himself the human nature for the purpose of redemption. And we know that that Christ was humiliated when he took on human flesh. And this became worse and worse until his death on the cross. But following his death on the cross, we see that Christ is again restored to his exalted state. For in his priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, sorry, verse 5, Jesus asked the Father to restore him to glory that was that he had from the beginning and that's of course is exactly what the father does but in order for us to celebrate in the resurrection we need to grasp the seriousness of our very own condition for in Philippians 2 paul tells the christians that unless that we are willing to identify us in christ's humiliation We will never share in His exaltation. Our Lord was innocent. He was the sinless Son of God. His death was on our behalf for our sins and not His own sins. 1 Peter 2 verses 22 to 25 said, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So we need to acknowledge that we are sinners, and it was only because of our sins that Christ suffered on the cross in a very personal way it was like we were standing with the Jews shouting crucify him, crucify him release Barabbas we need to view the resurrection with urgency so in conclusion brothers and sisters the significance of Easter is Jesus Christ's triumph over death. His resurrection means that we have eternal life that is granted to everybody who believes in this. So in celebrating Easter, we confirm all that Jesus had taught and all that He preached during His three-year ministry. If He had not risen from the dead, if He simply died and had not been resurrected, and He would have been thought of just as another teacher And a prophet. However, because of his resurrection, that rebukes all that and it provides the final, undeniable proof that he really was the Son of God, that he overcame death once and for all. Now, in the beginning, I said I wanted you to experience Easter in a deep and a meaningful way. Now, John Piper points us to four ways in which the depth of Christ's love is revealed on the cross of Calvary. Firstly, you know the depth of His love for you by what it cost Him. He sacrificed His love for you, and that assures a deeper love that you can possibly ever imagine. It cost Him more than a few cuts, scrapes, or bruises. He died for you. He died for me. Secondly, the depth of someone's love for us is how little we deserve it. We have offended him. We have shunned him. We have disdained him. The more undeserving we are, the more amazing and the more deep and the more real that love is for us. Thirdly, we know the depth of someone's love by the greatness of the benefits that we receive in being loved. If we are rescued from the torment of eternal hell and given a place in His eternal presence where we will experience His full joy, then this love surpasses all all others. And finally, we know the depth of that love by the freedom that we experience because of it. Because if someone does something, because they are forced to do it, that's not really deep sacrificial love. Christ gave us His life on His own accord. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. The ultimate freedom is joy. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the core to our Christian belief. Certainly, without the resurrection, there would be no Christian teaching, there would be no Christian preaching, our faith would not be spoken of. The apostles of Christ would have continued to have been the disheartened group of men that were hiding in fear of the Jews. They would have been in total despair until they met the risen Christ. Then they touched Christ's wounds. They ate and they drank with him. And the resurrection became the very foundation of all the things that they said and did. And that's what we're learning in the book of Acts now. The resurrection affirms that Jesus of Nazareth as not only the prophesied Messiah of Israel, but as the King and the Lord of a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. So let's pray.